If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, so just uh, before we uh, continue and butt heads in our threesome, um, I just <laughs> want to say... Of, which th- heads are we going to be button? <laughs> well, exactly. I oh. just want to say thank you very much to everybody that donated since last week and joined Patreon and just did some random donations. We very much appreciate it. And especially in these troubled times. That's how all the emails begin right now. Hi. Yeah. Instead <laughs> of hope you are well, it's... Hope you are well in these oh. crazy and troubled times. Dave, hang on. You know what we should do? I don't know if it's like this in other countries. Maybe you guys can tell us on the page. But uh, every advert in the UK right now has a very sombre piano yeah. line behind it. So <laughs> every single Dave, one. Dave, I'm going to do that now for the rest of the cash call while you do okay. the cash call. So <laughs> it types like these. Uh, our, our company has historically... Work together with, with but yeah, so basically, um, we truly appreciate support at this time because uh, we're all pretty fucked. I <laughs> was um, more than most, yeah, and especially those of us who work in the live music industry. Um, no idea when the hell we're going to be able to apply our trade again, um, no idea when we'll be able to have bands uh, running overheads and no, uh, I'm learning how to fix cars yeah if I'm, I'm thinking about uh, becoming a a cobbler Gain- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say gynecologist <laughs> uh, yeah so like to support our new careers as they may be we Trim. really can't afford to be paying money to do this podcast so uh, the fact that you guys can uh, support it just to be self-sufficient is fantastic um, so you can go to uh, unsungpod.net or patreon.com slash unsungpod and uh, just drop us any spare cash you can especially if you're if you work for the NHS you're getting loads of fucking free lunches and free coffees and everything so you can afford it I also want to say thanks to Luigi for the piano score that I just put over this <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't know he's going to have to do it he's not even yeah Jesus thanks future Luigi <laughs> I can make that guy's life hell <laughs> he's got no choice 
Anyway, back to the, the threesome. Yeah, let's go for it. Threesome. So we should probably do this chronologically then. Yep. Uh, chronologically, that one. Right. Okay. So we're going to take a Dillinger Escape Plan album each. If you're, by the way, if you're tuning in, that that cash call made no sense. Go back and listen to the first part of this episode, which where we give you the context of yeah. Dillinger Escape Plan. I have chosen Calculate and Infinity, the band's debut full-length album. David has chosen the follow-up, Miss Machine, which was a big departure in their sound. Let's see. Mm-hmm. And Mark has chosen One of Us is the Killer, which is a terrible name for an album. Yep. Um, but it's not a terrible album. Uh, it was their fifth, am I right? Mm-hmm. Fifth, fifth album. album. That's one. Right? Penul- penultimate album, as it turns out. And we're each going to make our case as to why the other two are fucking idiots. Speaking of terrible names for records and stuff like that, lyrics generally have not really been a strong suit for this band. Um, yeah, as somebody that doesn't really listen to lyrics, it's fine, but sometimes you capture lyrics and you're like, oh, oh shush now. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just the aggression at which they are shouted is great, so fuck yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, there's, some, there's definitely something to be said for people that play this kind of music and sing about um, politics or conceptual stuff. I think when I find out that a kind of angry guy, especially a guy that looks like Greg Pachato with his yes. muscles and his skinhead, is singing about relationships. I'm like, oh, mate, fuck <laughs> off. Like, honestly, you're, you're probably a fanny. Like, no wonder she left you. You know, I, I think that's, like, really often when you find out that that's this, the subject of these these tunes. It's just so self-indulgent and kind of tragic. Even when uh, he's yeah. not on stage, he's a very, very terrifying man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I'm taking this away, Emma. Calculating Infinity. Chris. Might as well Ooh. begin with the beginning. Right. right. The reason that this is the best Dillinger Escape Plan album is because Dillinger Escape Plan are two things, in my opinion. The first of those things is like a watershed electric shock to your head when you first hear uh, the Running Board EP and Calculate Infinity. Mm-hmm. Like, and they were an absolute watershed in, in this style of music at the time coming from somebody who was just getting into it they were also I have to be honest a good yardstick for how extreme can I take my music I went through a phase uh, of going round to my friend's house I've got friends Richard and Mike they had a vast collection of really really extreme music and I just started like, borrowing stuff and working my way through it and trying to see what am I into like how, how far can I go down these roads and this is when I realised I didn't like certain basically a lot of metal um, but I did find things that really stuck and I remember Dillinger Escape Plan surpri- I mean, they were surprised that it stuck they even were like oh, I don't think you're going to like this if you don't like some of these other guys um, and it really really clicked with me a little part of that is because yes it is so fucking out there I mean that Calculator Infinity album especially at that time was so insanely difficult to listen to and grapple with uh, that I just I loved that it, it was just so 
challenging and it was exciting it was really exciting it was really intimidating it was actually a very very unpleasant thing to listen to i think we all become a little bit numb at these things and obviously things that used to be extreme sort of become slightly mainstream i'm sure when you listen to the first black sabbath record when it came out it was what the fuck is this and then by now it seems a bit passe but it, there was something truly thrilling about Dillinger Escape Plan early on And it wasn't just them There were other bands about at that time That were really making me stand back There was a band called Breach from Scandinavia Who were really, really misanthropic Uh, I really loved uh, early stuff by Burnt by the Sun, who we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Caven. I loved some of their earlier stuff. But Calculating Infinity was just another level of caustic, I think is the word I would use. And the other thing that Dillinger Skate Plan are is this extremely competent, very highly regarded, hard-working, otherwise very admirable, extreme, metallic, hardcore band. Which is fine. It's fine. And there are a number of those bands, but they are almost certainly one of the best. Uh, They're not as good as Converge, but they are definitely up there. And I think that's great. There you go. Listen to Dillinger's Escape Plan. Have a a nice time. It strays way too close to emo for me at times, but I mean like screamo emo. And it it gets, there's too much aping of Mike Patton. There's too much self-awareness, especially when they started to make a push for actual sales I think around about the time of Miss Machine and definitely into Ironworks they realised they could maybe turn some cash uh, started buying onto tours with like a system of a down spending a lot of money to try and get exposure um, I think that Dillinger Escape Plan whilst still a totally totally decent band is just a different thing from this uncalculated ironically uncalculated entity that emerged in between 97 and 99 which was just a reaction to the orthodoxy and the the small mindedness the closed mindedness of the hardcore scene Uh, which by the way i think is something that hardcore musicians don't really think about themselves but i think they need to be a little bit more self-aware because so many of them are incredibly closed-minded about the world and about opinions that disagree with theirs there's something about that scene which I have a lot of affection for, but that was always something about it that, that made me feel a little bit alienated. And Dillinger Escape Plan were the same. And so this was like a really, this is like, this album is easily their purest art moment. This is a, just a statement of sheer intensity. They, they said themselves, I mean, you guys said it in the last episode, they never expected to be a band for any length of time. Ben repeatedly said this. He said, at no point did we think this stupidity was going to take. We didn't think it was going to be a long-term thing. Even up into the early 2000s, he didn't think it was a long-term thing, hence why Greg was shitting in bags and throwing it at the audience. But what they did as a result was they poured everything into every song. Um, I think... Ben says something along the lines of uh, we put every idea in every song like there was no tomorrow and we might never write another song. It was just get everything in there. Don't hold anything back for the next track. Just get every idea in there. And it was really undiluted. It was really, there was a lack of self-awareness but in, in, from that there, this really pure, naive unfiltered thing I just, I just absolutely fucking love the rawness the nakedness the honesty of this record um, I think one thing that really contributes towards that is Dimitri Minakakis on vocals I mean Iron Is a Dead Scene is a fucking fabulous EP fabulous but it's a concept EP it's them collaborating with a guy who's a very very well established musician with a history of 
incredibly experimental vocals. Um, this wasn't that. And Dimitri Minakakis was simply screaming and yelling. He wasn't copying anything. Yes, his vocals sound like a lot of vocalists that were about at the time, especially Tim from Dead Guy. But they they were just completely uncontrived. It was just a guy expressing something, uh, whatever the subject matter might be, against this incredibly furious noise. Greg is not that. Greg is an exercise in trying to straddle extreme hardcore with bits of metal, with crooning, with whispering, with theatrics, with a little bit of almost um, vaudeville at times, like kind of Mike Patton vaudevillian camp. And it, it's so much more self-aware. It's so much more derivative. Derivative in the sense that, yes, okay, it's not as... It's not as similar to the acts around it, but it's 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 deliberately derived from specifically from Mike Patton, really, but from a couple other people as well. Um, and I think Dimitri's performance in this record is just so bare and so unfussy and so just. This is just what we're doing. There's no sense of overt ambition within it, and I fucking love that because the results are so stunning without them really attempting to be. So I, I think context is everything uh, as well, and. This album, albeit now there are a lot of bands that can do what this record does, and in, for example, the, the opening track, Sugarcoated Sour, I think is possibly the best example of this. This is a tune that the band have bettered since. It's not the best Dillinger Escape Plan tune. It's not even the best example of this type of a Dillinger Escape Plan tune. But all the tunes they've done since on this theme are derived from this tune. And at the time, they were so far ahead of the competition. That's no longer the case. As Dave said, there are tracks on any number of the last four albums that could be done by other bands if they were so inclined. At this point, there was virtually nobody was doing or really seemed capable of doing this sound. They had arrived at this conclusion and they were the only fucking game in town for this level of sheer fuck you extremity uh, in, in this particular field. I think a real key to this album is the fact that there were no Pro Tools. I think this was all recorded analogue, this was takes to tape, there is no re-editing, there's no retouching, I mean there's production techniques, but they weren't able to like cut and paste the vocals the way they could with the later albums, and as a result, again, it's supremely naked, unfussy, unfiltered, really what they put out there is what you hear. I, I mean, I think, for example, that we spoke about how Ben is the driving force in the band, Ben ended up playing both the guitar the vast majority of the guitar in this and the bass makes it a much more uttered thing. It was really him, Chris and Dimitri that were the the thrust of the band at this point before they had all these new members coming in, all these new influences and the kind of division of labour. It's it's much kind of more focused as a result of that. And it is less diverse, no doubt whatsoever. Like Miss Machine in particular is an incredibly diverse album and is admirable in its ambition, definitely. Except that I think a lot of the, the, the deviations really fall quite far short of where they should. Uh, what they did in the extreme moments on this machine are excellent. And they're probably the best moments in this machine for my, for my money. And I think they were written pre that Irony is a Dead Scene EP. I think they were written when the band still felt it had this kind of quite focused identity. Then Irony is a Dead Scene came along got a lot of acclaim, blew open the doors of what they realised they could maybe musically attempt, and then all these other tracks from Miss Machine, which you're going to mention Dave, so I won't, I won't go over them, but they started to come to the fore, and it diluted this real focus that they had 
so yeah, I think they had a really discreet identity. I think a bit like Helmet, a bit like Jesus Lizard, especially the early stuff by those bands who were, who were experimenting with the format of like post-punk and post-hardcore. They just they didn't try and be too varied. They took a formula in one direction quite narrowly, but took it to its logical and sometimes its best conclusion. Yeah. So, I mean, as I've mentioned, Sugar Coated Sour, which I think is a great opening track, very, very fierce. But I think it, the album really comes into its own, the likes of 43% Burnt. second track which is an iconic modern metal riff it really is a standout and and it reappears actually in the outro as well total chaos in that song um you can see why that's the one that they sent out as an instrumental yeah vocalists because it's it's kind of it's idiosyncratic it's 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 the purest form of them at that point it's like who the fuck else sounds like this band at this point i mean converge soon after would start to sound a little bit like this when they got to jane doe there'd be bits of 43 percent burnt on it but i think they even gathered a bit of confidence from the likes of this yeah the song takes multiple listens to dissect it It's, it's so much to digest especially given the context of the time that there was very little like it about at the time there is Things like the, the kind of mathy break at about a minute 40 into this song as well really set them apart from other very technically furious hardcore bands that were kicking about. Because there were other good technical hardcore bands, but they didn't have this willingness to deviate into jazz and weird kind of complex sort of polyrhythmic breakdowns and stuff. Uh, the third track, Jim Fear, is utterly miserable. Uh, there is a very slight groove in it that, that then gets totally overrun about 30 seconds in. some really great choppiness in it and there's an incredibly dissonant and nihilistic closing riff in that song yeah uh, the fourth track uh, which I believe is asterisk hash full stop full stop pronounce it however you want It basically is another reason that this album was a masterstroke at the time, and one of the one of the ways that I was able to digest it because it gave you a pause. You've had about what at this point it's only about seven minutes, six minutes, seven minutes of like furious music, and then it gives you this like three minutes to try and sort of gather yourself, take a breath. But the track isn't functionless, that's the other thing, because what it really does is it sets up the next tune. It builds very, very gradually with this strange kind of pseudo-jazz pattern. There's a use of, like, rototoms and a really interesting crash symbol, a china symbol, that keeps repeating, and it just slowly leads in very menacingly into Destro's Secret, the fifth track.
which is just a total what the fuck moment uh, or at least it was for me at the time that was the one that I kept going back to just immediately when I was like have you heard this band if I could check this out um, it's kind of hard to really even understand that musically again at that at that first listen especially at that time there's a sort of very odd kind of death metal snare line in it but it's got this, this really extreme kind of hardcore guitar over it a brilliant and strange proggy jazz break which has almost half spoken vocals in it and this huge atonal riff that kind of sweeps through repeatedly and then the closing of that song that that line is is it sun drip devil scratched out my eyes is just fucking so anthemic You get the multiple layers of vocal kind of gang chant thing through the hardcore roots coming through. That was the hook that first really solidified this band for me, like above all the other things I was trying to digest. Track six, the running board, which actually wasn't on the running board DP. After about 55 seconds of intenseness, it drops into this weird, gentle, sort of Morricone-esque guitar vibe. Sort of thing. Yeah. It's really strange, yeah. The, very, the like, Running Hispanic. Board and also the Mullet Burden were the first two Dillinger Escape Plan re- uh, tracks I heard. I think they were on a, it must have been on a Relapse Contaminated compilation. Yep. Yeah, they were, like, they were pretty much life-changing. I was like, what in the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how, I remember those, music actually. be like this? Yeah, I remember those, uh, it was Contaminated and Contaminated 2.0 or something like that, and they yeah. just stood, they stood out so much on those records. Yeah, the song basically starts to kind of slither back up after that dropout. It doesn't just, like, jump, it just slithers its way back in via this, like, really sinister kind of picked loop. And there's, I don't know if it's feedback or if it's actually done with an Ebo, but the, the use of the other guitar to set the melodic kind of bass in the background is excellent. There's a really excellent choppy sort of refused-esque passage in it. Another lull and then this big ending. Trick 7, clip the apex, pause, except destruction. <laughs> fucking pretentious title. Uh, it's, just, it's just fucking plain nasty. Um, yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> I think it's some of the most minging chords in rock history. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, 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 they did this thing where uh, Ben Weinman was interviewed about it and he described the fact that they'd been told that they couldn't harmonise on the second. You know, most yep. people harmonise totally on the third or the fifth. Totally and he said, that. he was like, so we were like, fuck it, let's harmonise on the second all the time. That's so nasty. They did these chords constantly that are like two notes apart and fucking disgusting. And this is one of the best showcases for those chords. Um, and and the, f- the noise out at the end of this song is fucking brilliant it's totally 90s it's totally like Amrep uh, extreme alternative rock the, the way they finish this song just just saturating it and finish it in this ugly ugly fashion and there's also a few kind of beatdowns prior to that as well just to give it it's sort of put a couple of stars in its chest for the hardcore community uh, track 8 Calculating Infinity self-title track is this awesome like iconic post-hardcore riff 
again with a couple of Morricone ring-offs in it. It's another great pacer. It lets you get your breath back and kind of the the riff from the start re-enters even heavier after that pause. Uh, and also there's a couple of wee bits in this that start to sound quite Meshuggah-esque and give away their their love for Meshuggah. This is where it starts to really bubble to the surface. The ninth track, Fourth Grade Dropout, is the tune that once I got into Dillinger, I used to put this on to intimidate slash impress people. I was like, oh, you think you're into extreme music? Fucking check out this tune. Furious introduction to it. Um, has this really great tribal drum work in it. This is Chris Penny, as Dave said. Chris Penny is such a fucking key ingredient to the band to me. And he's just fantastic in this song. It's also got a really... I mean, it's a very misanthropic, anthemic kind of core in the song, which has a very Will Haven feel. Like, the chord descent is really like um, Carpe Diem, Era Will Haven. And then it's got this just maybe slightly gimmicky, furious last 10 seconds to just fuck you off as it, as it leaves. Tenth track, nearly at the end, Weekend Sex Change, is the thing that, again, demarcated Dillinger's escape plan from everyone else, because it's basically drum and bass. You have a drum and bass song in the middle of this furious post-hardcore record or extreme hardcore, whatever you want to call it. It gave the ba- it put the band on like a whole other level to the peers. It's more musical, so it was a track that if people were like shitting on the music and saying, oh, this is just noise, you'd be like, these guys are fucking incredible. This is not just noise. And this was a track that made you feel like you had to go back and give it more consideration as well because they were doing something really fucking special. I mean, clearly this track's dated a wee bit because of, of the style, but it's crucial to the establishing of them as something truly distinctive in the scene at that time. Then the final tune, Variations in a Cocktail Dress. By the way, this album's only 37 minutes, and that includes three minutes of fucking around silence at the end and two minutes from the diary of Anne Frank the movie but Variations in a Cocktail Dress comes straight in off the back of Weekend Sex Change is totally brutal It's, it's the fucking tune that if your parents heard it, they started to get worried about you. There's some brilliant use of harmonised chords in the second again. Uh, I mean, about 40 seconds in, it's almost formless, but then it snaps really tight, really quickly. And I think the, 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 the dissonant notes at the two minutes in, just prior to the end, and sort of very Jesus Lizardy, very Dwayne Dennison in their vibe, are a total fuck you just for, for closing. It's a fucking masterpiece of record. There's really only about 32 minutes of, of proper trackage on it. It's as concise and as brilliant 
uh, a record as uh, I can think of in, in, in the extreme genre. I also, by the way, think it's really interesting with this album, and this was something that I really liked about the band, and I remember it standing out. Clearest the band had a lot of tragedy in their past. They had a guy called Jeff Wood who played bass for them, for example, at one point, who'd been shot in the head before, and he'd had a fragment of a bullet remain in his brain, which then caused him to fucking gradually his personality to change over the years. Ben Wyman talks about the fact that Jeff Wood would try and play notes, and then he'd occasionally stop and pretend he was fixing his amp, but he'd really just forgotten what he was meant to be playing and it was a result of the, the, this bullet fragment in his brain which over the years gradually worsened his, his behaviour. He ended up joining a band called Shat or he started a band called <laughs> Shat and every album title has cunt in it. They're pretty mental but Jeff, Jeff Wood's an example of tragedy but so is Adam Dole because Adam Dole was meant to play bass in this album and Adam Dole got in a, what was actually ostensibly a very minor car accident but he was reaching for a CD as the cars bumped and it ended up fracturing his spine and he ended up paralysed from basically the armpits down and he slowly lost a bit of dexterity in his hands over the years so he was no longer able to play uh, bass guitar he did do keys for I think it's Miss Machine no, no he did keys for Iron Age and Dead Scene yeah and then he came back and played on the last ever show he did some stuff, uh, samples and stuff on stage for the last ever shows but Adam Dole does the sleeve notes this album which I think is a beautiful touch like he does a, a little essay thing on the, on the um, original release of it which I have and the wee essay thing it's very brief it just uh, says sometimes words just can't express exactly how we feel the deep complexity of our emotions is something I've always felt was better conveyed in song sometimes we've put in a situation that we don't always know how to deal with quite right here's my attempt at letting you all know how I feel all I can offer is my deepest thanks to everyone who sent a card, everyone who wrote about us in a zine, did a show, donated money at a show, or offered their sympathy to what amounts to be a stranger. You always put a smile on this cynical asshole's face and helped me get through the hardest year of my life. I hope I'll be seeing you soon. That's from a guy that had just become paralysed and was unable to play in the album, and I fucking immediately liked the band because of that. It was just something so special and personal and... It just made them seem like a fucking class act. Yeah, I, I just I absolutely love everything about this record. And whilst it doesn't have the ambition, part that's actually part of why I like it. It doesn't have the ambition. It doesn't have the the diversity of the later records. It is about as pure and extreme an art for an artistic statement uh, as I've heard from a, a modern band. And I just think it's. Yeah, it's a fucking triumph and they didn't mean it and that makes it even more special to me. And let's be honest, man, like this completely revolutionised that genre as much as any other artist ever did. So That's me. I, like, I'm not going to deny in any way that this isn't a masterpiece of a record, that it didn't change heavy music, yeah. that it didn't sort of set a new course for ex- you know extreme music. It tied up so many things. I fucking, I absolutely love this record and it's one of the two records that I listen to by this band. It's weird trying to pick holes in it, but I suppose I should try and pick holes in it. But I like there is a reason why I probably would I did choose Miss Machine, apart from the fact that you got in here first to choose Calculate <laughs> Infinity. But I like Miss, no, but Miss Machine is actually the one that I go back to more to listen to, and there's a lot about it that I appreciate in terms of picking holes with Calculate Infinity. I think as a record going back to it, it I don't know there's like a way that it kind of suffers from its own intensity yeah, like the fact that they've come out and in those like first two songs they've come out and changed music and redefined what heavy is from then on it's like where do you go and yeah they keep it going for 35 minutes and I think it's great it's still like the second half of the record is still great it's incredible but it's like 
there's only so much intensity that you can put into one album and it can it I don't know it just can't keep up with its own incredible pace that it sets somehow um see I thought they were like uh, this is the thing uh, that and I'm not I'm not just saying this to be argumentative I really felt this was what made this album special is that they had uh, the the likes of um, Weekend Sex Change just perfectly placed in this record to sort of pace it, and that they also had moments within specific songs brilliantly chosen. Just the hook here, Sundrip Devil scratched at my eyes. All these little moments of like, this is just furious. I can't follow it. And just as you're getting exhausted, something would land. Yeah, like they like in the middle of the running again. board and stuff like that. They have the like they are incredibly accomplished at choosing when to have a little break and stuff like that. But just for instance, like Calculating Infinity, the track, I just, they, they start slightly recycling things. But that's because in the first two or three songs, in the first five minutes, they've done more than most metal bands have done in their entire careers. They've put more riffs in there. But the fact that you then hear it, a similar sort of thing happening nine minutes later, they're victims of their own success in, uh, in a way. And that you're like, oh, they've kind of recycled that. Of course they're recycling that. They've gone through a thousand different things in the last nine minutes. So, yeah, it's not... It's an incredibly important record. It's it's brilliant. Also, I, w- I mean... You know, can I just say I don't envy you this task because I know you really <laughs> fucking love this album yeah, and you're but having also, to try and be critical. <laughs> I mean, the main thing is, is this unsung? Um, yes. Like, I mean, in if terms we're going of, by, yeah. Uh, sorry? If we're going by Chris's yardstick, if there's your mon over it, then uh, this band are unsung. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, this album sold 100,000 copies, man. Come on. I mean, yeah, it's Dillinger's not Escape Plan are unsung, but they are critically acclaimed, and Calculating Infinity comes top of all. Uh, rankings of their records at all that's times. That's not true. That's not. That's true. not. That's really? not true at all. That's not not true. even close to true. Man. One of I us like is the killer. Often does. Yeah, and and Ironworks came top of a whole bunch of finalists as well. Yeah. Oh well, and I've looked at like three or four. The other one, Miss Machine, like finished above this and most things I saw as well. I looked at Rate Your Music and I looked at Loudwire and I looked at Louder and this uh, Calculate Infinity came top in each of them then sometimes it's Ironworks sometimes it's Miss Machine is either second or fifth quite often yeah so I don't I I think this record is seen it's it's the purest's choice it's seen as you know a total game changer and I think anybody that's into extreme or heavy music knows Calculating Infinity is you know the defining record of Dillinger Escape Plan well, put it, put it. There's, a, I think, a really good way to illustrate it is that there's some great fucking videos on YouTube of key people from key other bands, contemporaries, bands that were before, bands that have come since, describing what an incredible impact this record had. And their point is that Dillinger went on to be a tremendous band with a load of great records, mm-hmm. but that that nothing was quite so. Uh, impactful as this one uh, as a musician they were like as a musician this was just as you say it just was like what the fuck how are we meant to keep up with this it completely like set the bar like a totally different level and I think it's not even remotely recognised on, on, on that on that level can I chuck in my two cents um, I want to no. I can expand on Dave's point um, I think this is a great record it's, it's one of the most important records in metal of all time there's absolutely no question about it and I fucking love this record as well but for me, the thing that sets it apart is that 
even when it slows down, it still feels like it's going at the same speed. It's just one texture and one emotion. And they expand upon that throughout the entirety of their career. They just don't do it in this album. And yeah, they're young and they're, they're still pretty fresh and they're still trying to find the identity. And one thing I love about this record is like it's all, all the identity is on this record. Everything that's on this record is expanded upon and a multitude of ways throughout the entirety of their career that everything that's apparented down to escape plan sound starts on this record and continues right through to the end. It never changes, which is great. I fucking love that sense of identity. The fact they managed to build upon it and explore with a much broader palette is one of the reasons why this record, for me, isn't their best. But it's still amazing. And if it went in... <laughs> I would still be fucking chuffed because it's a fucking amazing album. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Dave, you're up. Yeah, so Miss Machine... Yeah, so I was speaking to Ian again about this and, like, we, we... agree on this funnily enough I think we both got into Dillinger at the same time probably had the same contaminated record and then did you get into them with this record? Uh, I got into them from Miss Machine I had heard stuff before but then Dylan, uh, Miss Machine was the first album that I owned um, so can I can I proffer just a suggestion here as well because obviously I think the, the few years difference in our age also allows for a slight difference in when you get into Dillinger yep. Escape Plan and very very many of my friends who are just a few years younger than me, Miss Machine is the one that yeah, was absolutely. The, the changer for them and I think that does n- particularly reflect just your, your stage of evolution into heavy music. Yeah, um, funnily enough, like you mentioned Black Flag earlier, Ian said that they were kind of like our Black Flag. They were really, like Dillinger were a sort of entry point for people um, that had been, you know, down the Tony Hawk route and got a lot of like skate punk stuff and then also from a metal perspective like Ian was also was always into NoFX Mad Caddies and stuff like that whereas I was into Korn and Pantera and then by the time we were both 18 and we were looking to sort of get heavier and more expansive we met in the middle with Dillinger because they perfected that punk energy but like metal technicality and heaviness and sort of refined it and also Ian he said that Miss Machine hooked him in because because of the choruses that they started to incorporate he was coming from really like in Faith No More Nirvana and, and like early Biffy as well and so like they've got the aggression but it never sounds that metal the guitars aren't too distorted there isn't a whole lot of double kick especially compared to like you know Calculate Infinity's like slightly more metal tones just because you know because of the lack of production maybe yeah it's weird that it's more metal yet less metal somehow yeah, as I say, I think the fact that Miss Machine came after the Iron Age of Dead Scene EP mm-hmm. is it's the, the more melodic parts in that seem very evidently attributable to the, the success and the, the reception that the Iron Age of Dead Scene EP met with. And that kind of puts me off it a wee bit because I do think the heavy parts on Miss Machine are excellent. I think their heavy stuff on there is... I'm, I'm not, I, I don't. I can't really be objective and say it's as good as Calculating Infinity because it's all about context. But what fucks that album up for me is the fact that there's these big, stodgy fucking melodic bits. Which, by the way, I might add, see for like uh, Sleeping Giants track. Mm-hmm. I fucking loved that way that when that came out. Yeah. The 
difference is the longevity of that was zero because by about a year later it was so fucking corny I was like oh my god man I can't believe I liked that cheesy shit <laughs> and, 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 and unretrified which for me is up there is one of the worst things I've ever fucking done and I think that kind of thing it, there was a consideration level to the band that started to make me not like it as much it didn't feel as honest anymore uh, and Miss Machine is the album that I straddled because I do think there are great things on it. And then, I, I think yeah. that, but I, I don't think you can accuse them of not being honest. I think they were always honest because they always wanted to try new things and they wanted to push. Uh, they, they always said that we all have a perverse curiosity to see how far we can take it. And I think that's in heaviness and intensity, but also just a perverse curiosity to see how big they could go while still always being incredibly heavy and abrasive. Um, and that's why the fact that you're hearing a lot of like progressive and heavy influences on Calculate Infinity and you can, you know, oh, I can hear the jazz bit and I can hear, 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 hear the cynic bit and stuff like that. But on Miss Machine, they incorporated the industrial side, the pop side, the electro side. They fuck, you know, there's a reason why they covered Justin Timberlake because they're just as into R&B at some points as they are into, um, you know, prog rock. And they were like, fuck it, why Why can't we just try and be all of these things at once? We don't have to be, you know, uh, What? how many albums do you hear a huge chorus, like, unret- unretrified, followed by the perfect design, which is, you know, one of the most, f- you know, frantic, heavy songs, you know, ever recorded? You know, I think I think it's, it's ironic that they got tags like the Radiohead of Metalcore and things like that later on in their career, because you know, OK Computer came out in '97. Ben Weinman describes what a huge impact that album had on it, on him, as an artist in terms of like the lesson of artistic purity and bravery and pushing in a direction to see where it takes you and how it uh, not taking in too many other considerations. Calculating Infinity to me is, is far truer to the spirit of experimentation and. Uh, and, and art in its kind of purest sense than any of the later stuff when they started to sort of seem to gravitate towards commercial p- possibilities uh, I think it's it's way more dangerous but uh, what, what, like conversely was like they pissed more people off with Miss Machine than they probably gained that's not uh, yeah I know what you mean no they pissed off a lot of their, their OG fans absolutely including me but uh, the clearly broke through to a whole new level. I mean, there was no fucking way that the band that made Calculating Infinity was touring to any great level of success with System of a Down, who were a fucking mainstream new metal band, basically. Yeah, but they bought onto that, and then also System of a Down at that stage were probably just looking to have somebody credible on with them, because they were trying to be esoteric. But the reason that... that, Dillinger Escape Plan bought onto that was because they were like we've got some tunes here like the Sleeping Giants being probably the most obvious example uh, that they were like we can put these in front of a system of down audience and maybe get like 5% of that audience on side with us they weren't going to fucking do that with like 43% Burnt or Destro's Secret they, this was because the band realised they had commercial potential and I think they I, I, by the way I'm not I don't want it to seem like I'm being like commercial is always evil. You know, f- I fucking put LaRue through forward for this, you know? But I'm saying that in terms of the, the nature of what this band represented, mm-hmm. I love this band as the rawest, most caustic, unconcerned artistic outlet. And it just, it changed. It just became a simply a good, a really good band with Miss Machine. I'm not saying they weren't a really good band, but they were just a really good band. They weren't a fucking thrilling, artistic fucking ride of like 
where, where the fuck what the fuck is this I can't understand this this is totally new to me that element was gone I could understand it now and it wasn't massively exciting anymore it was just good like I can see that from your perspective because you were there at the time right it was I don't know it wasn't in 1999 they came here and they fucking changed heavy music and you watched it happen in real time whereas me I'm going back and I'm like Miss Machine is a just to me a slightly more listenable record well, definitely. Um, I mean, I agree with that. That's that's absolutely true. I'd be stupid to fucking disagree with that. Um, I mean, I'll I'll go through it because like there is a reason why I fucking love Miss Machine. And so you start off with Panasonic Youth, which is just as heavy as anything, yeah. and it's like sugar coated sour, but then turned up a notch. It's crystal clear. The production is better. vocals of Greg I know that he's you know he verges into like Mike Patton homage later on but he's got way more dynamic range oh yeah uh, he's, he's and he's, he's much more versatile as a vocalist yeah um, and, and I agree remember I said that I think there's elements of like Miss Machine that really do carry on from Calculating Infinity in mm-hmm. a totally authentic and, and a way that does totally total justice to that previous record this is definitely this starts out like one of them it is old Dillinger Escape Plan it's brilliant um, I do think about 50 seconds in you hear that first moment of Pucciato when he does a sort of emo yelp it's not full on Mike Patton but he does a sort of just a little kind of uh, like breaking his voice that I was like whoa and it's just like one of those little kind of like you're dancing and then you stop dancing. You're like, wait a minute, what was that? Yeah, but for was me, that- he's just like, he's adding some actual melody in than rather just full on screaming. And I like, fuck, I love first record. I love Yeah, but I mean, I could, that, go but, like- and to, I could go and listen to Finch at this point. I didn't want that from the <laughs> You could not listen to Finch. You could, given my hairdo, you definitely cannot listen to Finch. You have never listened to Finch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Sunshine the Werewolf then comes in, starts playing around with a slightly sort of like more controlled, uh, mature song structure. Heavy bits are still there. math bits but then there's like yeah big slow bits heavy production slower builds by the end of it they're starting introducing like the strings and the synth but it's not in a cheesy way they're just like they're making the most of their time in the studio for the first time they're not just like a live band recorded well They're sort of stretching their engineering muscles as much as their songwriting muscles. Uh, I think that's a great song. Highway Robbery is just... Uh, no, that's brutally heavy, but then it's got this big punky chorus. Do you like this one? Fucking! T- this is the this is the first moment where I was like, "What the fuck is happening here?" It's it's just pure Mike Patton. Uh, it's it's it really was. I, I, it was really disconcerting. I really hoped it was an anomaly in the album when I first heard it. I don't know. I, like I love the guitar in it. I, like it's like sort of Bronxy sort of vibes to it that are slightly more. Do you like this, Mark? 
I like this song, but it does sound like Faith No More Down tune to me. I mean, yeah, that's um, that's true. Which is fine. Yes. Which is fine. Um, uh, Van Damsel, like, uh, like classic Dillinger, really mathy and frantic and brutal. <laughs> Then you move on to phone home, which is like <laughs> you can see what they're doing. Like they are gradually testing the waters with how experimental and then how poppy and how electronic they're going to be. Phone home, they're now really stretching things like huge Nine Inch Nails vibes. Totally. Big, huge guitars, big Trent Reznor, you know, from Greg. He, do, he does do a lot of, he does a lot of pattern, but he does a lot of Trent on this record does a lot yes. of Trent as well. He, he, he yeah. really does, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I was, I was going to say about this song, this song's interesting in their career as well because one of the last interviews they did with Independent, I don't know if you guys read it, but Ben always talks about how much he loved Electronic and AFX1, but he never mm-hmm. felt as though he could fully put it into a record. Particularly by calculating Infinity Area because it was like it just was not accepted in the scene. Yeah. You know, so it's like the first time they're trying to do something like this. Ben's like uh, Greg's a massive industrial fan. He was an industrial band before this, anyway. Mm-hmm. So they had the whole trend. And it's interesting that they like they tried that. a little bit on Ironworks, but then they never really did anything as much further on. Yeah, well, it was a bit, a bit on disassociation, uh, disassociation, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, then we go into "We Are the Storm," which is just so absolutely heavy. Faith No More bit in the middle but some some right proper chug there as well the that, guitar tone on this record is end. fucking amazing yeah totally the gent at the end it's definitely a gent riff at the end yeah sure. definitely Then Crutchfield Tongs was just like a little bit of atmosphere. Like a Atmos Fear yeah. Factory bit or something. Then we've got, yeah, Setting Fire to Sleeping Giant, which is like. Let's talk about this. Well, it's that first time you then see it with like Milk Lizard and Black Bubblegum, that sort of mm-hmm. carnival-esque riff, big fucking chorus. They're, this is their first trad pop, so- pop rock song structure. Yeah. 
yeah. but yeah, I mean this this is a huge moment for the band. This the, there's no getting away. They must have swithered about where they were going to put the song in this album, knowing how big that fucking chorus was, man. Yeah. And as I said, like I was really sucked in by this when I heard this on the album. It was really gratifying. I did mm-hmm. it did really click with me the first first year I had this. This was one of the few songs that I kept really going back to, but it then aged like. It went off a cliff in terms of its longevity. I, there was something about it that I grew to fucking hate because like, it gets in there. Like it, 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 it's, it's still like I can hear straight out candy. Like it's so fucking uh, head automatica almost. It's yeah. something really. It appeals to a part of me that I'm like, get out of that room. You shouldn't be in there. That's, it, it appeals to the Larue part of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, he's a fucking wrong in, on this one, man, and it, it really fucks me but up. Like, but like, I suppose like that's like that's a band like trying different things. There's different types yeah. of re-listenability, and they've um, sacrificed longevity to me though for possible commercial breakthrough. And I mean, on top of that as well, it's very derivative of Tomahawk, which had happened a year before. Where they'd obviously been influenced by the Mike Patton thing, and it's it's got a lot of parallels with that that self-titled first Tomahawk album. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, in fact, it's got a lot of parallels with Mick Gas as well. Because I mean, it was it was a year after that, so um, it was yeah, also I, incredibly influential on who can people into the band, though. Mm-hmm. I was Clearly, say, yeah. I think it's important that we sort of highlight the experimental nature of this as an idea concept for them too. This is another piece of experimentation. It just so happens that's fucking exactly. huge. Yeah, you know. Um, and yeah, that's but why, it's that's experimentation like it. with dollar, dollar, dollar at the end of it, rather than experimentation in a kind of purely artistic. You know. Uh, but there was there was absolutely no like there was nothing to say that relapse were going to get behind this. There was nothing to say that people were going to get behind this. No, but you they know? weren't stupid. They paid a fucking f- small fortune to get in a system of a down tour for the presumably with the intention of getting that money back. It was like this is our breakthrough. We should. We should appeal to commerciality. And again, I'm not fucking shitting on that as, a, as an idea. I'm just saying they became a different thing. And this song, for me, is the moment this was... A, I was like, ah, oh, this is a different band. This is not... The, like This This is a Greg Pichetto kind of commercial post-hardcore, extreme post-hardcore band. It's not this fucking phenomenon from the first album. Um, well, That's, you follow yeah. that up with Baby's First Coffin, which is possibly... Good name. Yeah, maybe this is like maybe my favourite Dillinger Escape Plan song. Certainly, when this record came out, it was the song that I repeated the most. And going back to it, I just I'll, like it's really heavy, but it, it's so mathy and jazzy. But I just I fucking love that breakdown at the end, and it's ve- it's maybe the one that would fit most on Irony Is a Dead scene as well. I don't know, man. Like, see the middle bit where he's just singing. It's pure dream theater, and the guitars are just fucking. Yeah, I love. Yeah, (laughs) no, I love it. It's kind of. I think I got um, sixth came out around the same time. Yeah, and Uh, I'm pretty sure sixth opened for them when I saw them at the K. I. But that would make sense. 
and like there there are bits of sick that are cheesy as fuck, but then there's totally. b- bits of sick like the, that the dreadlocks. Are, uh, yeah. Anyway, and like this is just one of those. I, I don't know. I just fucking love this track. And then unretrified is like the big uh, pop song. I, uh, fuck it, I, I love it. I like it. I really like it. Fucking awful. Awful. I mean, even even now, trying to be as generous as I fucking possibly can, that is some fucking sub nine ish nails bollocks, man. It's fucking embarrassing that song. No, it's it really just is. a big the, pop the song. Production, it's good, man. The production sticks out like a sore thumb in the context of the album as well. It doesn't sound like the rest of the album. So this it's fucking derivative. It's just so fucking bad, man. The three, so singles, the three singles in this have got different production. This, Sent Fire and Panasonic Youth all sound drastically different to the rest of the record. Yeah. And then they go from their biggest, cheesiest pop song to, and then finish it off with a perfect design, which I just fucking love. Which is a cool so song. Heavy. I'll give you that. That's, that is yeah. way fucking better than Unrestrified. <laughs> Well, it's just very different but I mean it goes back to like classic Calculate Infinity Dillinger mm. uh, uh, so to me this is Dillinger taking Calculate Infinity and refining the heaviness and the chaos of it but then also just it's five years since that record came out they've new members they've done shit with Mike Patton they're probably just fucking bored of you know that late 90s you know thing that they created so they're just trying things out and they're like oh well we could try a pop thing we can try an industrial thing we'll try all these things out they've got a new singer that's got a huge range and I just think it's I I just I I really fucking love this record I think it's really listenable but also really fucking heavy and then it's also the last uh, with Chris Penny who I think took with him their sort of punky energy as well as you know a lot of intensity yeah, I mean, I think you can hear when Ironworks comes around that even the moments of this that sounded closest to calculating are still pretty true to that, whereas from from Ironworks onwards when they start doing the calculating stuff, it, it kind of sounds like a version of that, but it doesn't sound... Yeah, it's a different drummer, there's a different feel to the playing, it, it doesn't sound the same. Yeah. Not that it should sound the same, but there is something for me lost. And I, I, like, as I said many times, I totally agree, Like the most ferocious parts of uh, Miss Machine are fucking excellent. Really, really a good showcase for the band... I just love how stuff. ambitious the record is as well. Um, they didn't just do Calculate Infinity Times 2. They fucking flex their muscles. They tried production stuff out. They went melodic. They did a whole lot of shit. And yeah, I, I, I really like the record and I really appreciate them being ambitious with it. So, All right, Mark, well, tell I us just, how you're wrong. I want to, I want to add my, my couple of cents to, oh, yeah, to this as well. Um, because I think, it's, I think it's a great record as well. I, I really like it. I like it a lot but the thing to me the thing that really 
kind of puts it down on the list for me is it's it doesn't sound cohesive. The singles stand a lot sore thumb, you know, and mm. they've not they've not quite got the balance with the industrial stuff right yet either. And you know, it's got grown pains, which I, I like that. That's, on a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, it's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah, I've picked a lot of records which I think are a bit flawed and have grown pains and are, are feel a bit incomplete um, and to be honest if, if Dillinger Escape Plan had had only done two albums fucking I, I, wouldn't, I would not be I would not be annoyed if, if these were the two records that did it's interesting like I think the, the purity of Calculate Infinity is both it's uh, selling point and it's weak point for me and then the sort of slightly scattered ambition of Miss Machine is it's high point for me and then it's yeah maybe it's weak point for you guys so that's how I'd yeah. maybe put it so I'll tell you my story the Angel Escape Plan so I got into the Ironworks Mel Glazard was clearly my uh, it was my my intro to the band and I actually credit um, Ironworks and Option Paralysis as, be, as being the thing which actually got me to converge as well because I wasn't really into this kind of kind of really extreme kind of mathy music which is what it was to me at the time I was a hardcore punk kid I'd never really any time I'd heard Converge in the past it was oh I don't really get that like it's just too abrasive for me there's not really any structure or melody there and of course there is it's just not the way you think it's going to be and it wasn't what I was attuned to hearing um, so Ironworks and Option Paralysis were a really good bridge to get me to Miss Machine and Calculating Infinity which then got me into a whole raft of other extreme inaccessible to a certain extent music which like Chris says it's one of these things where you take it for granted right um, none of these none of the songs even though we've got Set and Fire to Sleeping Giants on Miss Machine and we've got Milk Lizard and we've got um, One of Us is a Killer on this even though we've got all these songs which are you know quite geared towards being commercial um, it's still not going to be the kind of thing that's going to be bothering the radio, so it's not like hugely accessible in that regard, if that makes sense. So the reason that I picked this record is because, like we kind of, like I kind of hinted at when we were talking about Airworks and Option Paralysis, is they're just not complete for me either. Um, they're still reaching for like the ultimate version of what they think Dillinger Escape Plan sounds like. Now, of course, they would argue that it finally comes with association, but I think this is a, a much better point. Uh, where that kind of coalesces into being the ultimate Dillinger Escape Plan record that's got everything. It's got the ambitious Miss, Miss, Miss Machine. It's got the ferocity and, and sheer caustic nature of Calculating Infinity in places. It's got the big singles, but they're not even that big. Um, it's also got their best drummer in Billy Reimer, who I think is better than Chris Penny. Um, he's a jazz drummer, clearly. He's not a metal drummer, so that gives him a kind of different vibe and approach, which is why I like this era of the band as well. I think that this version of Dillinger Escape Plan, the one that was on Option Paralysis and, and this record and Dissociation, for me is the best version of the band as well. Even live, they were a lot more consummate, you know, they were a lot more um, together, maybe a bit less chaotic than they used to be, but, you know, they still existed and that was pretty cool. Um, and I like that. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I've, I went with this record. I think it's the most, I think it's their most diverse record as well. And I'll take. I'll go through it, and we can talk about some of the songs on it. Uh, funnily, just as you say that, I kind of want to sort of concur and go beyond that and say it. I, I think it's very diverse. But I think of the last four, I think it's the most well balanced. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. would agree. It's it does have the right mixture of everything, and it's this. It's also 
relatively short for their comparison. It's forty minutes, so it's like in the middle of of their kind of album length. Kerry, just ask what you guys will maybe confirm this. We mentioned it in a previous episode. Um, is this the point where they toured with Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden because Death Grips broke up? Oh yeah, so that was in that was in twenty fourteen. I, like f- yeah, I took oh, a, so a year after this the after tour this. cycle for this. Yeah, thing, yeah, I, yeah, I took a wee note of that actually. I think that's like kind of a significant thing because fifteen years before Dillinger Escape Plan were the young chaotic band, you know, you know the young punks fucking things up and causing injuries and pushing musical boundaries, and then fifteen years later they're like the old reliable band that fill in for Death Grips <laughs> who have like fucked off and like you know shat it and been punks and broken up or whatever so yeah i kind of thought that was significant it's also interesting to note that at this by this point they're a constant touring machine there's no break in, the, in these guys lives for 20 years for, for i guess ben's life for 20 years you know it's tour for two years to get you write a record release did he not take a years. break for the band i like I, I don't know if that's strictly true because he had a couple of operations as well man yeah, no, but like in 2016, that's that's when I interviewed him and he was saying that, look, look, this is the last run because we can't do this to our bodies anymore. Mm. You know, um, and a whole bunch of tours were, a whole bunch of dates were rescheduled as well because I think there was a bus crash. Well, also when Chris Penny left the band though, he cited one of the reasons as being they passed up a re- he didn't say who the band was but they passed up a support slot on a massive tour without consulting the full band because mm-hmm. Ben Ben said he physically couldn't do it and Chris said so Ben had basically iced the project till he was able and didn't ask us about this opportunity and that was part of what led to his decision to leave it's interesting like I'm just thinking about like you know Ben's injuries in the band you shouldn't really compare them to other musicians in terms of longevity and like being able to do that live you would compare them to Keith athletes Richards. no you compare Keith them to Richards. athletes <laughs> compare everyone to Keith Richards <laughs> <laughs> no but like in terms of what they were doing live 150 200 nights a year for 15 years they were doing as much as any professional athlete probably more you know they were at the end of it like Ben was wearing an e-brace because his leg was so fucked yeah exactly you know? like they were all broken men at the end of this the fact they're able to and that's one I think that's one of the reasons why this record probably is the way it is as well Ironworks sees them trying to be more commercial Option Paralysis tries to see them bring it back to Calculate Infinity as much as they can, but they can't ignore all the sort of synthy bits and stuff that they usually do. But at this point, they're getting old. The end is clearly in sight, and this record kind of feels a bit like it's moving towards the conclusion of the band. It's got all the good stuff in it. Um, so I'll take you through it. Um, it starts off with Prancer, which is fucking mental. Sounds like old school Dungeon Escape Plan. It is good, yeah. And it's got it's got lots of really mathy riffs in it, but the the chorus is kind of really warped to melodic. And I know I, I think the Mike Patton thing is a totally fair comment, and sometimes it does great in me as well. But see when they go in a different direction with melody vocally, that's I think when they really come to life. And it usually mm-hmm. isn't for the hooky chorus when they go for that. It's mm-hmm. usually in a song like Prancer. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that really pays off. And um, this is the only single released on this record as well, Prancer, which is fucking bizarre. And then it goes into when I lost my when I lost my bet. Which 
which it's kind of got that mathy intro again, and then it goes. I think like it's this. really, really interesting tune. Like, I really totally, like yeah. the, 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 the kind of avant-garde post-hardcore. It's like, got a jazz fusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. only thing about it is it, it strays over the course of the track much closer to that Phantomass territory. Uh, yeah, where it, I, I don't know, it, it kind of loses it a wee bit for me. Yeah, well, I've actually written down here for like they've got loads of big riffs in it. They've also got the discordant double stops, which they obviously do in abundance at all, at all times. But it sounds like fifth, twisted faith no more in places as well. Yeah, which is fine, you know. Um, and the wee detours that kind of all lead up to the last chorus is pretty cool. One of us is a killer should have been a single. Don't know why it wasn't. It's got a video and everything. Absolutely fuck this tune. I, I like this song. Um, <laughs> Absolutely fucking get out of my house. You were not invited. Total fucking faith no more philia, man. Totally. I, I, see, really I don't mind this out. either. I think it's like it's like unretrified, but they do a few more different things to it. I mean, um, it's got a massive production for the middle eight. Like the riff in the middle eight mm-hmm. is fucking enormous. Yeah. And then they completely shit all over that with uh, going back into another shitty fucking Faith No More chorus. I, th- it's, I hate it. I think one of the things which we haven't spoken about a lot, and, and actually two things we haven't spoken about a lot throughout both of these episodes, is one, this band have a lot of groove as well, which we which we haven't really touched on, and it's quite apparent in this song. And they don't do it a lot, but see when they do it, fucking my God, is it bigger than any Pantera riff? And, and that, that middle eight is a good example of that. Secondly, Steve Evans has recorded and mixed all of the records, every single one of them. Um, and I think it's quite interesting that every single one sounds that a bit different as well. They originally wanted like a dead guy vibe to it, didn't they? Yeah, and that was what he'd worked with. And then he he's obviously matured a lot as a producer, and the band have changed and stuff like that as well. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. They've worked with the same group of people. Um, the budget which, changed as well. Yeah, let's be and honest. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got Hero of the Soviet Union, which is just total chaos at the start again. Yeah, well, see, you say it at the start because the first minute of this track is fucking brilliant. It is amazing. And then mm-hmm. I do not understand why they fucking ruin it. They go, they go back to the prog, jack, the, the jag, the jazzy proggy thing again, which is it, 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 it goes a into lot. this like cheesy stuff, and then it ends with this like just this very basic chess beater hardcore man. I think it's such a shame because it's fucking tremendous at the start. I love the hardcore ending. I think it's perfect. Um, and see those annoying back and vocals, the high pitched things. I think you're probably talking about. I think they're supposed to be annoying because they repeat so much. <laughs> oh, like, a fucking mission accomplished. Because eh? they just keep building up on top of each other. I think. Do you want to hear the most annoying, annoying sound in the world? <laughs> <laughs> and if nothing's funny, which is probably the most conventional song on the record, it could have been a single as well. To be honest. Um, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's this has got like them all the swagger of like a pure radio friendly rock song. I think it's like it's like Greg doing his big almost fucking Soundgarden voice, the the big sort of grungy closed vowel sound thing, which I think is pretty cool. Um, nice jazz breakdown as well. But the chorus, this song sounds like it was written for the radio. Why was it not released as a single? I don't know. saying that probably one of the weaker points in the record although I still, I still really dig it Understanding Decay is pretty good the kind of back-to-back mathy riffs the kind of stuttering thing is really good and then they bring in the atmospherics and the keys which like brings in a whole new texture and that's what I was saying like with a calculating infinity there's only one texture with Miss Machine they're trying to they're trying to incorporate more textures but it doesn't feel fully formed but at this point it's been two records since Miss Machine and it actually feels like they've, they've got an idea of how these songs should be structured and what should go where and what to do in terms of contrast between different parts and all that. So from a songwriting point of view, I think it holds together much... It feels much more intuitive to them at this point, whereas it didn't in the past. And yeah, you can say that's maybe because they keep loving Faith No More and they keep loving Nine Inch Nails, which they clearly do, but, you know, they're making it work. I think this is a really good example of that. It's got a really creepy bridge in three minutes, which is kind of mental, where Greg sounds a bit like a Dalek, <laughs> which, is, which is odd. Um, and then you've got pure fury right at the end. which is You know who um, really makes Faith No More and Nine Inch Nails work? Faith No More and Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, I know. They really nailed that. Yeah. Nine Inch Nailed That Hey Hey um, Oi <laughs> Jesus We've <laughs> um, got Paranoia Shield Which is basically a punk song It's really straightforward. Um, it's kind of got like a little jazz shuffle on the drums, which is which is kind of cool. And the chorus melody is is pretty nice, but the melodics are fucking awful. Uh, <laughs> really bad. No debate. <laughs> uh, look, there's, there's some horns in this song as well. Sometimes they bring on horns randomly and with keys. It's on this one. I wish they'd done that live, like Mighty Mighty Boston's. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you imagine that? <laughs> and then you've got uh, the fucking horns players running about, bumping into shit, smash <laughs> themselves up, getting their horns all buckled. A buckled horn. Huh? Yeah, uh, it's a threesome. So yeah, you've got to expect a couple of buckled horns on a freeway. <laughs> If you've got the instrumental song, which has got a really long title with lots of numbers on it, uh, CH3575268277 RS. <laughs> I 
I've heard even even big fans of this album say that this is the weakest song in the album. It is the weakest song because it's just a little instrumental thing. Yeah. It really doesn't need to be in it. But yeah. I think the reason it's there is because the last three songs actually function as kind of like a suite of songs. Magic That I Held You Prisoner, which is a fucking mental title, and Crossburner, like sort of run into each other. Magic's one of the best songs on it. I yeah. think mm-hmm. it's a shame though that the vocals do a disservice to the excellent instrumentation of that record of that of that track. I think the experimental, ultra aggressive hardcore of that tune is really good, but I, the, yeah, the delivery of the vocals just does not work. See, for me, the last three songs kind of function as like a deconstruction of where the records mean at this point. Magic that I held you prisoner kind of pushes in so many different directions at once. And the middle section, the melodic section is actually quite fun. So I quite like those vocals in it. And then it even has got a key change, which is pretty cool. And I actually like Greg's vocals. Like fucking kiss. <laughs> um, Greg pushes it with a key change. Greg pushes his, pushes his voice into like a totally different range that usually sings them, which I think is a really nice touch. Something slightly different for him. Um, Crossburner is a little bit too long. It's five minutes long. Probably one of the longest songs, actually, throughout the course of their career. I kind of think whenever you call a song Crossburner, which is a cool name, but provocative, it has to be an absolute fucking ripper or you're going to fall flat in your face. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a slow burner, which maybe it's supposed to be ironic, I don't know. (laughs) Um, It's kind of hypnotic, and it's weird that they're given the album space to breathe at this point. It's the second last song on the record, but there is some great guitar work. Some of the leads in it are really, really nice, actually. Um, and then when it goes full board at the end, it's pretty satisfying. And then the threat of nuclear weapons kind of sounds like Nine Inch Nails again, um, but it's, it's it's also really groovy. It's like Nine Inch, it's like Dylan just escape plan doing the mathy thing, but with a lot more groove. Kind of like it, a bit like Will Haven almost, mm-hmm. um, and then it falls. You do that apart. a couple of times. Yeah. yeah, it falls apart in the middle with like broken sort of piano type sound, which is cool. And then you kind of fade out with the louder guitars and vocals at the end, which is kind of cool over the atmospherics. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good record. I like all the records. I like all their albums. I, I would happily stand by any of them, but for me, this is where their ambition meets their songwriting nice. You know, I think they're. I think they've got to a stage here where they're finally able to achieve the thing they've been trying to do since Calch- since uh, Mist Machine, I, and it works. I mean, I, it's definitely my favourite of the last four. I, I think it's like the best Dillinger Escape Plan have sounded trying to sound like Dillinger Escape Plan, but I just yeah. don't think it measures up to the first two records, which are like genuinely. I don't think any other band in the world could have sound would have made those records. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think, Mark, uh, if you'd picked Ironworks, you might have had a shot, just because I think a lot of people are going to vote with like pre-existing loyalty on this. Um, I think Dave's going to win, because Miss Machine is a, a big inlet era for the band, and I think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But, I mean, I think we can all agree that they are one of the most influential, important, and fucking brilliant live bands and... Uh, just heavy bands of all time. I, I think we can also all yeah. agree that we don't need to hear them for another few weeks. Yeah. Oh my god, I know. Like <laughs> I'm just <laughs> so many so many notes. Oh my so god. Many, so much discord. Oh god, I know. Please somebody pick classical for the next one. <laughs> I, I, I like that they've they've always remained to me they've always remained exciting throughout their career musically. And and obviously life. Mm-hmm. That's why I like them so much. I mean, I did. I've seen them live five or six times, and although I stopped listening to them when Ironworks came out, I still went to see them live, and they were still just as heavy and brutal and brilliant as ever. They were always great live, even if you weren't listening to the records. Well, okay. So was, next this time, that was a marathon. Um, yeah, it is next this time. Yep. This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? Not good. Dave, you go first because this is just your idea. This whole thing. No, 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 no. Go reverse order because I had to go first with the albums, Mark. You go first with the Nexus. Right, okay, I'll do that. Fine, whatever. (laughs) Just break the rules. Uh, Uh, Hang on, so this was Katie Puckrick, who was a TV host on like shows like The Word and stuff like that. Yeah, she's American, but she's American. She got big in Britain in the 90s. Yeah, and this was chosen by Sadie Bonbons, I believe. So just to remember, it's been a wee while, uh, and I think I mean I know the last time we're going from Dylan Just Kate Plan to Katie Puckrick, right? Actually, <laughs> it's only been two years, <laughs> Jesus, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Fuck. Uh, okay, so Dylan Just Kate Plan did a Soundgarden cover, uh, Jesus Christ Pose, which is on our plagiarism EP, um, and Ben actually went on to collaborate with Kim and um, Kim Thiel. Was it Thiel? Yeah. Tile, Tile, yeah. I think, yeah. Um, for Guitar World and a cover mount CD in 2013. Over the course of their huge career, Soundgarden obviously did quite a bunch of covers. They compiled them as part of a three-disc box set called Echo of Miles. One cover they did, which was the B-side to Rough the Cage, was uh, Big Bottom by Spinal Tap. Yes. Um, Absolute beast of a song. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole bunch of different directions I could go with this, but I'm going to keep it simple. Toto guitarist <laughs> Steve Lukather. Lukather? 
Lukather. Lukather. He performs on a song on the second Spinal Tap record called Break Like the Wind, which is also the name of the record. Yeah. Um, he, he plays a guitar solo alongside Slash, Jeff Beck and Joe Satriani, which is fucking <laughs> the most 90s thing in the world. Um, Toto are, of course, the kings of what is often pejoratively known as Yacht Rock. You guys know what Yacht Rock is, right? I no. fucking love it. Yacht Rock, mate. Yacht Rock is basically adult-oriented adult rock from like the 70s and 80s. Um, okay. Steely so, Dan. Yeah, all that kind of shit. 10cc and mm. Toto. Smooth shit, man. Yep. So uh, in 2019, we featured in a BBC4 documentary called I Can Go For That, The Smooth World of Yacht Rock. Um, <laughs> where In the second episode, they spoke about uh, how they kind of came across the idea for the single Africa, um, which incidentally I found out is actually the last song on Total 4, which is a weird place for your biggest yeah. hit. Um, anyway, that show was presented by Katie Puckrick. So there you go. Oh, that was good. Great work. Dave? Uh, I, mine is very quick just because this uh, yeah I've decided to go for a quick one so Dillinger the 2002 Reading Poo incident <laughs> uh, oh will I do that well actually okay you can get to them twice I'm pretty sure Massive Attack played at Reading that year uh, but also Dillinger covered Massive Attack on plagiarism yep. uh, Massive Attack at one point Mark Riley radio DJ and former member of The Fall there was a much longer way to do this that involved The Fall but I'd, I've decided to go on quick uh, yep. Mark Riley actually worked as a record plugger for a bunch of bands including Cocktoo Twins Pixies and Massive Attack uh, before he went and worked in radio um, nice. Mark Riley when I was growing up he was part of Mark and Lard which was like this weird absurdist radio show on daytime radio one which we covered in one of our bonus episodes for subscribers yeah yep. um, it was kind of like shooting stars on the radio it was, uh, great and a regular contributor to Mark and Lard was Katie Pukrick Alright, you went with Pook. Pukrick. Maybe because of Pukrick. like uh, Greg Puchette was on stage poo. Yeah. But yeah, at mid nineties she was always on it, so Alright. Uh read them and weep, guys. Here um, we go. Dillinger Escape Plan. Ben Wyman he drums on a song for Wycliffe Jean. <laughs> <laughs> uh which uh, apparently the only it took like one or two takes and Ben was like Okay, you sure? And he was like, yep, that's fine, that's perfect, thanks. Uh, and Wycliffe John has put it in the Wycliffe John vault. Um, but uh, Wycliffe John used to work at Burger King, uh, just as Fuji's were starting, and he quit Burger King once the band took off. Remember Burger King? Yep. Uh, here's a... Oh, my God, here's a fucking uh, sharp turn. Uh, Burger King, in 2008, released uh, a man's uh, aerosol fragrance called Flame. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh wow! Uh, was it not? Which was, uh, no, no, it was then re-released in 2015 as a woman's perfume called Flame for April Fool's Day. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of dispute as to whether or not it was an actual April Fool. But yeah, so it what it did come out in 2008 as like a male aerosol, but then uh, it was re-released as a perfume supposedly for April Fool's Day 2015. Uh, by the way, interesting aside, which I did consider going down, uh, the company that made that fragrance uh, was called Demeter, after the Greek goddess. Uh, oh, nearly, yeah. Some of uh, Demeter's other fragrances include lobster, <laughs> Play-Doh, and oh, yes. 
funeral home. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> if anybody can get any of those three fragrances and let us know, we'll send you an address that you can send them to. Yeah, it's not in any of our houses. <laughs> they, they, there's way, way, there's way, way more. They had like chocolate chip cookie flavored perfume and stuff. They were like the masters of just weird, nuanced, almost like trolling flavors or fragrances. Anyway, so Flame by Burger King. <laughs> the genuine smell was reviewed by Katie Puckrick for her YouTube series Katie Puckrick Smells in 2009. <laughs> which, by the way, she used to close each week by saying, I'm Katie Puckrick and I smell. Brilliant. Nice. That was good. Yeah, good well work. Done. Good work all yeah. around, chaps. It's been a, been a shift. Yeah, that was a <laughs> long two weeks there that we did that over. <laughs> So wait a minute, right? To vote for this one, it's complicated because Facebook won't let us put three ways on it. You'll have to go on the website, right? Yep, that's the, that's the procedure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So let's try it this way. Get your ass on the unsungpod.net and just vote there, you lazy bastards. Yeah, <laughs> while you're we there, do, maybe sign up to uh, donate on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Failing that, at the very least, post your choice under this in the comments. Mm-hmm. So that we can get some kind of gauge of the public reaction. Yeah, we'll try and add them up and, and yeah, count them. We'll do it's that, it's yeah. one click away. Make the effort. Anyway, Mark, what's happening next week? Is next it week? going to be screamy? Please. Absolutely not. Bert, fact, Bert Bacharach. Uh, the record we're doing next week doesn't even have vocals on it. So, you know, there is that. that that's unexpected. Magic. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's called Donuts by Jay Diller. Um, Jay Diller. It's a kind of a seminal underground hip hop record. JDL was a very, very, very influential, very important DJ and producer. Uh, he sadly died of a heart attack when he was 32. This record came out just after that. Um, it's the third album. And yeah, it's, it is, it's an instrumental record. All the tracks are about, um, I don't think there's a track that's longer than a minute 50 on it. Um, and it's kind of like a two DJs having a conversation almost even though it's just one guy that done it it's a really interesting really chilled out record and it's the definite antidote to this do you know what else is seminal mm. three fully grown men having a, a three way about Dillinger mm. yeah. it's been intense so uh, for Abrasive. this uh, are, are we going to need the Nexus Mark uh, we are going to need a Nexus I think Christopher guess what I've got is that a tub of Nexus I see and oh. the Nexus for Jay Dilla shall be... One of you guys want to make this call? Okay. Oh, okay. my God. No, sorry, guys, I've been putting the fucking used ones back in. <laughs> <laughs> Leave you alone in your house and just keep doing okay. this Okay, I don't know who this is. Right, I beg your pardon. Rick. Uh, Rick, Rick to life. Chris, can you speak? Because it's... Uh, yeah. it's Rick to life. Rick to life by oh, Davey Bright. Okay. Anyone know who that is? I think he's another hip hop artist. Hang on. Oh, this is going to be too quick. That'll be too easy. No, no, no. Sample Jay Dilla. The challenge is to make it fucking not easy. Yeah, that's (laughs) fine. We can get as uh, wide as possible. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, he's an artist. Yeah, 25 to life. That's who it is. New York hardcore band. All right. Well, we just need to find an interesting way to do it. That's all. Awesome. Um, All right, everybody. Uh, Stay safe. Be Thanks good. for listening. Please yep. uh, go and subscribe so you can get all kinds of cool personal uh, feel-good factor from knowing that you're helping subsidise our furlough period. And we'll see you this time next week. Yeah, yeah. look after yourselves. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Bye.